Open your Bibles to Hebrews 10. We've been in our series on the book of Hebrews. Can we stand in honor of God's word? Hebrews 10 and 11 are the largest chapters in the book of Hebrews, so we'll be breaking them up. I don't want you to feel like you've got to stand forever. It says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually remind them of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ, when that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. I love that. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, although they're required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor in God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is a new covenant I'll make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Father in heaven. Today, we're going to be challenged, we're going to be convicted, but Father, not only have we gathered today to be in your presence corporately, but we've come to hear truth, truth that could only come from your word, truth, Father God, that once received, sets free. And so God, I ask for greater freedom today for people. Father, I ask for you to clearly speak to hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing that long. Chapter 10 has been my favorite so far in this study, and you're going to see why. Let's just cover a few things, and and, uh, we're going to go for it today. I don't ask this often from my own pulpit. I will in other churches. But in order to preach what I'm going to preach today, I need to have the freedom to do so, and I need you, if it's the truth, to receive it. And I'm going to ask that you open up your hearts and that you receive some of the things that we're going to discuss today because there are preachers that are afraid to talk about the things that we're going to talk about today. 
And if you're uncomfortable with some of the things we're going to talk about today, I can help you find a church that will not talk about these things. But I can't do that because I think that is a death sentence to ministry. And if I won't do what God's called me to do, then surely God will find somebody that will. So can we go there today in Ionia? We like ice cream, but we don't like soft serve. All right? Okay? Can we go there today? All right. So here we go. Good day to take notes, by the way, if you're a note taker. The old system of worship was a shadow, which is why repeated sacrifices were necessary even though they were never fully cleansed. Remember, we've talked about shadow and we've talked about substance. There are things in our life spiritually that are shadows and then there's substance. And how many of you know that the substance is always Jesus Christ, right? So far, so good. I love verses five through seven where we see Jesus speaking to the Father. It's so powerful, and it's so revealing, the heart of Jesus, to do his Father's will. We see this many times in the Gospels. Scriptures like John 4, 34, Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. In fact, Jesus said that he loved doing the Father's will so much, he said it was food to do the Father's will. He said, I have nourishment, I have, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus said doing God's will was literally a form of nourishment to him. How I many of you know if it was good for Jesus, it's good for us too. In verse 10, again, we see God's purpose for Jesus becoming man. I, I, I just so love this chapter. Jesus said, you know, you didn't want animal sacrifices, but you have given me a body to offer. Think about it. We preach it every Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Jesus was given a body to offer. Let it sink in. He was given a human body to offer. How many of you know Jesus existed long before he came to earth? He said, before Abraham was, I am. In the beginning was God, was the word. The word became flesh, John 1:14, dwelt among us. The new living says, made his home among us. This is all good stuff. In verses 11 through 14, we see two kinds of priests, one operating under a temporary system and the other Jesus. We have a finished and a complete work once and for all. No longer is it necessary to go to a repeated system when what Jesus has done, he did once and for all. You'll see that language used in the book of Hebrews again and again and again. Once and for all, once and for all, depending on your version um, you'll see language similar to that. And in verses 15 through 18, the confirmation of Scripture, as one commentary put it, or how, because of Jesus, Scripture can now be written or hidden in the heart. Jeremiah prophesied about that in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. What we have that they didn't have in the Old Testament because of what Jesus did is now the very Word of God can be written upon our heart. Can be written upon our heart. You invite Jesus into your heart, and you begin to live in a way that you haven't even read about maybe in Scripture yet, yet you live according to Scripture. Why? Because His Word's been written on your heart. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Your spirit bears witness. All of these things begin to take place in the life of a believer. Okay, now let's get down to the nitty-gritties. Look at verse 19 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. So remember the Holy of Holies for the 
the Jew. We've talked about how for the high priest to walk into the Holy of Holies, it was heaven itself. They literally believed that to go into the Holy of Holies, it was, it was a place where heaven and earth met. It was to walk into heaven itself. And we're told that we can now boldly go there. Get this. One person under the old system could go there. And now because of Jesus, we all can go there. And we can go there boldly. Okay, you tracking so far? It says, by his death, Jesus opened a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Your access to the throne is life. It's life to the believer. It's life to the believer. And it's there that you obtain grace and mercy in a time of need. Hebrews 4, we looked at that in weeks past. It's life to you. You keep going to the throne. You don't stop going to the throne. and You can boldly go there. God wants you to go there. You obtain life there. You stop going to the throne. You cease to live as a believer. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a current. It's an ongoing. It's a present thing. It's not a past thing. It's not what we once did, what we once experienced. It's what we are experiencing. It's what we are doing. It's how we are living. Christianity isn't isn't praying a prayer once, it's living a life. It's a lifestyle. It's not just who we are when we come to church in these walls. It's who we are once we leave this church. This is where you're equipped. This is where you're filled. And that's where you live. That was really, really good preaching, Pastor John. That was really, 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 really. I'm going to encourage myself until you get behind me here. You want to pull on me in this message. And since... We have a great high priest who rules over God's house. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Look at verses 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. This hope in Jesus, you affirm it, and you hold tightly to it. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we can boldly enter the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. A new and living way has been provided for us and we can go right into the presence of God. Jesus' blood has made us clean and washed us so that we can boldly go right into the presence of God. Then it gives three instructions there. Three let us instructions there. Did you catch them? Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. You hold tightly. You hang on to Jesus. You cling to Jesus. You hold tightly. That hope that you affirm is your belief and your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's no longer you who live, but Christ that lives within you. And the life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. Your hope is Jesus. Your hope is Jesus. The anchor of your soul is Jesus Christ. That's your hope. And you you cling and you hold tightly to that faith in Jesus Christ that you affirm. All right? So far, so good. Two, let us think of ways to motivate one another. I so love this. If it's the church's responsibility in Scripture... If it can be found anywhere, it's right here. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Man, don't give up on Jesus. Don't quit. Don't get, it's just getting good. It's just beginning to make sense. Don't let these trials define you. Let the truth of God's word define you. Think of ways to motivate one another. I think we all should be exhorters. 
I think we all should be encouragers. I think we all should be motivators in the body of Christ. Then it says, let us not neglect our meeting together. Notice that not attending with the other believers is called neglect here. So easy for a pastor to preach on this. Do not neglect your meeting together. Well, Pastor John, I was hurt by a church. I was hurt by a minister. I was hurt by a Christian. I'm a pastor and I've been hurt and I still attend church. In fact, I probably have a greater opportunity to be offended than any of you do. You know the difference between a pastor and a congregant? You get to choose me. Yeah, think about it. Think about it. No matter what it is, no matter what you've been through, no matter who said what, even if I've said it, do not neglect your meeting together. Don't you dare do it. Don't you dare do it. But exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. That word day is capitalized in most of your Bibles because it is the day of Jesus' return. The first advent was when Jesus came. The second is when he returns. And he's not coming as a suffering servant, saints. He's not returning to be crucified again. No, 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 he's kicking tail and he's taking names and it's over and it's done with when Jesus returns. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you do not want to try to make up your mind then. It is not a time for you to confess your sins then. I don't care what you've been raised with. Your decision to leave all and to follow Christ is made while we were here on this earth. You are not getting prayed into heaven when you leave. Restore Church is not going to be offering up services for you when you're dead and gone so that you'll make it into heaven. There's no holding place. There's no in-between. There's heaven and there's hell. I didn't think it'd be popular today, but can, can, I, can we amp it up a little bit more? I've got I've to read this chapter. It's my job. So look at verse 26. You might want to grab somebody's hand while we read these verses. It says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If you think you got it bad today, it was a little bit rough back then. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Let me read it again. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy on us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I'll pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. 
The language is really strong here, speaking of deliberately sinning after knowing the truth. It's a language similar to 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, and I want to read this. It says, and when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would have been better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. I don't have the time to go into it. Maybe this could be a conversation after service or while we're at the picnic today, but I believe I can support in Scripture that there will be a harsher punishment for those who have known the way of truth, have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then rejected that and turned their back on it. I, I believe I can support it with Scripture, that there is a harsher punishment. book of Jude talks about being twice dead. Dead to sin, born again, dead to sin. Gospels talk about a harsher punishment, being beaten with a few stripes or, or many. I know that this is strong language. <sighs> Off my notes, Romans 11. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Romans 11. You know what? Scriptures keep me awake at night. Scriptures are like these. Romans 11. Look at 17. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were once branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you're there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He's severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. This is a life that we're living. It is a continual. It's not a, a, a one and done. It's a continual. As Christians, we are Christians because of the way we live, not because of what we once have known, not because of a prayer we once prayed. We started. We must continue. Read about Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts and they would revisit the churches that they began and they would encourage them to continue. You'll see it again and again and again and again and again. If we all acknowledge that there is only one sacrifice that can make one right with God and cleanse from sin, then to reject that leaves one with no sacrifice to cover their sin. Let me say it again. I know this is strong stuff, but somebody's got to preach it. 
If we all acknowledge that there is only one sacrifice that can make one right with God and cleanse from sin, then to reject that leaves one with no sacrifice to cover their sin. And let me just state this for the record, those of you that are watching live, sin exists still today. People still need to be cleansed from sin today. Sin is a real thing and it exists. Think about it. The culture of the day that we're living in, what's sin anymore? Trying to do away with everything, even gender. What is sin anymore? Sin exists. Everything seems to be so permissible now. I was just reading in my time alone this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it said that Paul said that even in his day, there were people that were saying that it was even wrong to marry. And if it was then, man, it's going to be now. I mean, that's what verses 28 and 29 are saying, and verse 31 is the, is the exclamation point. Matthew 10, 28 confirms that hell is a real place and that God can cast people there. Let me say it. Hell is a real place and God can cast people there. That's not figurative language. Hell is real. Man, if we believe in a real heaven, we got to believe in a real hell. If we believe in a real God, we got to believe in a real devil. Got to believe. I grabbed an excerpt from Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I couldn't help but think about it as I was reading Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, which I, I'm sure was the inspiration for the message. This is what Jonathan Edwards said, and he, he was a manuscript preacher. I've read about him. So this excerpt, picture this man standing up. I, I, I believe I read that he was mostly monotone, and he was a manuscript preacher, meaning he never looked up. He just read his notes. And this is an excerpt. There is no want of power in God to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. Men's hands cannot be strong when God rises up. The strongest have no power to resist him, nor can any deliver out of his hands. He is not only able to cast wicked men into hell, but he can most readily do it or most easily do it. Here's what I struggle with. I struggle with sins that have become permissible to the church today. I struggle with a church that would say that homosexuality and Christianity are not compatible, but that fornication, sex outside of marriage, and Christianity are. To the gay community, we must look like the biggest hypocrites in the world. Oh, we can't have sex with whoever we want to, but they can. How convenient. And to those of you that are living together, I say this. If you really love each other, then quit using each other and commit to each other in the presence of God and many witnesses. I think it's about time. And if homosexuality is not compatible with Christianity, then neither is a lifestyle lived out of premarital sex. That's not compatible either. And somebody better love you enough to say something. 
Somebody better love you enough to do something. And if you really love, then you commit. Quit living like you're married when you're not. Commit. Pastor John, we can't afford to. Come and talk to me. I'm sure we can work something out. You got a backyard. You got a couple witnesses. We can do this. We can do this. This ain't hard. This ain't rocket science. But you will commit to each other till death do you part. No wonder why it's so crazy, the divorce rate. But statistics that have been given in times past are not completely accurate. The statistics were for years that the divorce rate is the same in or outside the church. That's not really true. The statistics of divorce are much lower for those that will consistently attend church, regularly attend church, much lower, significantly lower. Because it's very difficult to be in God's presence again and again and again and to live a way that is contrary to the very presence of God that you stand in. It's hard. That's why when people are on fire for God and they're coming to church and all of a sudden you don't see them for a while, you're always worried about them. Always worried about them. All right. I hope that was okay. It's out now. Let's finish by reading verses 35 through 39. And these verses mean a lot to me. It says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you'll continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he's promised. We need patience to do God's will, church. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. This was written a long time ago. Long time ago. And the writer of Hebrews, and it's been said that it was Paul. It's been said that it was Luke. It's been said that it was Barnabas. Nobody knows for certain. A lot of similarities with portions of it with Paul's writings. It says, for in just a little while. The coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Verse 35, when Lisa and I were going through some of the most difficult time of our ministry. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, felt like we were getting hit on all sides. And I had preached one Sunday, and a gentleman came up to me, and he gave me verse 35. I went to Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, and I preached there, and a gentleman came up to me and gave me verse 35. If there's anything that we should not throw away, it's our confident trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't throw that away. Don't you throw your trust away in Jesus. I don't care what hits. I don't care what hits your home, what hits your marriage, what hits your family. Do not throw away your confident trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Bill Johnson writes in his book. I believe it's when heaven invades earth that he writes this. He says, I will not reduce God to my experiences here on earth. And don't you either. God, where are you? You have no idea what he's keeping and protecting you from. Everybody sees the things that they believe God hasn't done for them. Well, what about everything that he has? 
What about all the ways that his grace has enveloped you and protect you from the worst that you never could handle apart from him and only can because of him? What about all of that? I think we should never be at a loss, especially in fat and sassy America, for being thankful. For being thankful. We should be the most thankful people ever. I'm so grateful that God moved upon two men's hearts to come and give me this verse when I needed it the most. Confidence or confident trust there also means boldness. Boldness. Not just any kind of boldness, but a boldness that implies intimidating circumstances. Intimidating circumstances. Boldness that can stand in the face of intimidation. John Bevere wrote a great book, Breaking Intimidation. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to do so. Great, great book. That word reward there speaks of payment for worthy acts of retribution for wrongdoing. That word reward speaks of payment for worthy acts or retribution for wrongdoing. A lot of people don't experience the rewards because they don't stand long enough. They don't persevere long enough. They won't patiently wait on God. When it says wait, that tells me that there is probably going to be some time required. God, where are you? Wait. How many of you prayed through difficult times and just felt like God said simple things like trust in me, wait on me? I don't know how many times I heard words like that. I'm thinking, God, seriously, that's it? And it must be loaded, it must be packed if that's all that God says. Trust in me. Trust in me, wait on me. Wait on me. Like he doesn't see what's going on in your life, like he doesn't see the things that are being said about you, done to you. Come on, wait on God. If you put those words together, we are exhorted not to throw away boldness when facing intimidating circumstances because we will receive retribution and payment when we have done so. No matter what you're facing, don't turn away. Boldly stand. How can we boldly stand in the face of intimidation? The key is found in verse 36. If we are going to continue to do God's will, and how many of you know you got to make your mind up? I'm going to do God's will, come what may. Come what may. Pastor John, I don't know God's will. You pursue Jesus, you'll find God's will. It's not a secret. I believe it's more proven over time. I believe God's will is proven over time so that you may prove what is that good, what is that perfect, what is that acceptable will of God. Anytime you see the will of God mentioned, it's always active. Jesus talked about doing God's will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is done, so, so do, so do. God can steer a ship that's left the dock and is out there in the water a lot easily than he can if one's anchored and if one's tied to the harbor. Do. Do when God will clearly speak to you, and over time, the fact that you are doing his will will be known. God's too big to miss. You're not going to miss him. Just start doing. Everybody wants to know, well, God, just tell me your will. I'll do your will. Well, just serve him. Just serve him. This isn't, this isn't, don't make it more difficult than it is. You analyticals, man, do not make this more difficult than it is. You people are too smart for your own good sometimes. I'm glad God gave me a simple mind, I'm telling you. John, I'm going to use that little Polish brain of yours, and I'm going to reach people with it and keep it simple for them. Thank you, Lord. I believe we need patient endurance. That word endurance speaks of the capacity to continue to bear up under 
difficult circumstances, you just keep going. Just keep going. No matter what you're facing, you just keep going. Just continue. Just continue. Don't leave. Don't run. Don't bail. Don't quit. I've had it. I'm not going to be treated like this. No one's going to talk to me. Don't do that. Do not do that. Don't run. Christians aren't known for running. Christians are known for standing. Having done all the stand, stand therefore. The only time we're told to flee anything is sexual immorality like Joseph leaving his coat. Stand. Just stand. I don't know how much longer I can handle this. Maybe not you, but the Lord with you. Yeah, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We're always looking to bail. We're always looking to quit as if opposition and intimidation are things that we just cannot bear. I should not have to put up with this. Well, who are you? I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say that before he was crucified. You know, Father, this is a bit much. I should not have to go through that. I am the son of God. I should not have to go through this. Oh, that's things that hurts. Man, who told you to quit? Who told you to pack it in? Is that a part of your witness and your testimony that I'm a quitter, I'm a bouncer, I'm a hopper, I'm a lever, I'm a runner? Is that what God told you to do? Man, support that. The armor of God we're given is for frontal attacks. It's not for retreat. Stand and fight. Stand and fight. Don't quit. Don't give up. I believe that's what righteousness is. And I believe that's what living by faith does. Just like we read in verse 38. And my righteous ones will live by faith. I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. You be faithful. You trust in God. People of faith stand, remain standing no matter what they're facing. Next Sunday, you're going to see incredible examples of that in chapter 11.